0: Hey guys, welcome to the Change Up Podcast. Josh and Chad here. This is where we talk about culturally relevant topics, but we look at them through an honest gospel worldview. Let's get it. what's up guys what's up josh pastor sam in the house (laughs) what's going on yeah we're running a little late because we just had a 30 minute talk about sex so sorry guys that's on the um the bonus episode yeah we'll have to bring that back though when you guys might never come out (laughs) probably probably not (laughs) um so we're just gonna jump straight into a take it or leave it okay Uh, so chad you choose and then we'll all comment on it your offers too like usual? Yeah, take it. Take one, leave one. First right. one, dropping bombs. <laughs> the second one, winsomeness.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll take winsome because I think I know what it is.
0: Mm, dang.
1: I know what dropping bombs is. I wanted to talk about Ukraine a little bit. That's what. Uh, he
0: previewed that before we started. Yeah. Um, that aspect. But this coming out on Friday, it will be kind of behind the power curve so first thing i'll say about ukraine if people want to follow along like when i had to get read up on it i had no clue what was going on i went to this website called which uh you guys have heard us mention it on here before but it is and i'm finding it because i always get the letters wrong because it's like five letters it is f of course it's not on my feed right now one second okay there it is The Family Research Council. So they are... FRC? FRC DC. That's why I always get it confused. Mm. But um, I think Tony Perkins is the name of the guy that runs it there, and he just offers a bunch of political commentary from a biblical worldview. So I highly recommend them to follow up on all these current events that we may not be able to talk to, uh, i.e. Ukraine. Okay, the question of winsomeness, however... Um actually these people just put out a post that said all Christians should be winsome or mm-hmm. actually it was should all Christians be winsome and you disagreed with that. Mhm. So um let's speak about this well, we got to define winsome. Okay, let's define it. Give me a second cuz I had to pull up a minute ago. It's it's like being
1: attractive. Yeah.
2: People are winsome speech. to try to winsome.
1: <laughs> there you go. Because they don't want to lose some. The definition is attractive or appealing in appearance or character. Like Mm -hmm. a winsome smile. So what was the context that they were saying? Give us a summary of that. Because that's what I disagreed
0: with. Okay. So, let me pull it up. He said, Christians like to talk about whether it's appropriate for Christians to engage in politics. Which makes Mm -hmm. sense because this is a political uh, page here. Yeah, And so... Christians like to talk about the tone we should use. If we do, winsome is not just the name of Virginia. Uh, blah blah blah. Um, but winsome is a way that Christians should talk at all times about cultural issues. It talks about Proverbs sixteen twenty one, sweetness of speech. Uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty one, um, the power of the tongue. Colossians four six, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so so that you may know how you. That's ought not a winsomeness each though. Person. Um, here's a kicker. As as Christians, our goal is to be like Jesus. So, in this respect and all others, we need to consider what tone Jesus used in his communication with people. One might even say he was winsome after they gave him a bunch of, um, Luke 23, <laughs> Luke 4 and 5. Matthew Have you been and
2: in Luke for the past three years
1: with us?
0: Yeah. That's He's not, true. not very attractive in his speech. He loses almost all of his followers. Yeah.
1: Right. This goes against scripture altogether, in my opinion. Um, in terms of like Christians should be winsome. And you you and I were talking earlier that this is really more of the, the debate of sufficiency of Scripture because Scripture gives us exactly what we should be. We should be gracious. We should be loving. We should be truthful. And if, and if we're going with our Christ-like example, the tone of our speech should match the situation that we're speaking into. So, you know, when he would address the Pharisees, for instance, he definitely wasn't winsome. He was very confrontational, yet without sin. Right. And we shouldn't be angry in our speech. The Bible's clear about that. But we should be honest. We should be truthful.
0: Well, sometimes there may be a reason to be angry. Sure. But we in sh- your anger, do not sin.
1: Right. We should stand firm. Um, but this idea that we should be winsome, I, I don't like when people try to, Go outside of Scripture to to give strategies for how we should be based upon how we can influence something. We have to trust in the Scripture, we trust in the Holy Spirit, trust in God to change hearts. But we should be honest. We should be humble. Um, but we should be truthful. Like if we gave the example earlier, like speaking in political, like what about abortion? Should we be whimsical when we're talking about abortion? Of course That's not. Winsome. You yeah, said so. whimsical last time too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I
0: don't think you could be win- winsome. I think that's a word too. Whatever.
1: It's a derivative of it. Anyway. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying is like, we should be right. above reproach. We
0: cannot speak about abortion in an attractive way. We should be
1: sorrowful. We should, be, we should mourn. We should be serious about the truth. We should be serious about the atrocities of sin. W- winsome. I don't I don't see where that would
0: apply in those situations okay so you're not a winsome guy Sam. how about you?
2: I would say that some people are naturally winsome, but I don't think that this is what this person is saying um I think some people are more um like they uh when they communicate with somebody they they are just i don't know God made them differently and they're maybe more like that, but that to me, either way, it doesn't matter, right? Like to say that somebody should be winsome, all Christians should be winsome at all times is I think false. Um, Here's what I would say. I would say, number one, I would question the motives. Is this the church growth culture that this person Mm -hmm. comes from? Because I bet you it is. Yeah, it
1: seems like a strategy.
2: Um, Secondly, I would say is what's your reasoning for winsomeness? Right, what's the motive there? Um, Because is it like, then I can get more people and is you know, you can say more people to be born again or more people to hear the truth, but it's really just more people, right? That's like the goal. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, I would say is like, those passages were taken out of context. They're not talking about winsomeness. They're talking about season with salt, meaning, um, meaning, you know your your words are are things that um, preserve and give and and give life, yeah. you know, and uh, that mm-hmm. that taste good in the sense of truthfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, not like you need to, because the I feel like winsomeness is used in the sense of like the content won't be accepted. Therefore, if I can say it in a more of an attractive way, it will be accepted, mm-hmm. right? But the idea is like. It's the content that matters, and if you're going to win someone over into a, into the truth of the gospel, not because they agree with the content, but because you made it sound attractive, you're probably compromising somewhere, Mm -hmm. and they're going to probably find out later that the message that that really saves is not the message that they accepted, you know. And I feel like it's, you know, you got to ask yourself: is the content what matters the most in the truth, or is it the attractive way that i say it like i said i some i think people some people are just more naturally like that and that's not necessarily sinful
0: right but
2: that's not the that's not the goal i feel like the last thing i'll say is with that is i feel like it's more i feel like it's more deceptive than anything else well that's what you say call that. that you, you call know what it, i mean uh,
0: fake yeah and really if you think about winsome people they are a little fake right it comes off as ingenuine ger- yeah, like they're just so... Yeah, how
1: can you be winsome about something that should produce sorrow? Right. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't come off as genuine.
0: Well, a text mm-hmm. that a lot of people will point to, and like I heard Tim Keller say this the other day about contextualizing, um, is Acts 17, when Paul speaks to the men in Athens, at the Areagopagus, all these uh, philosophers. Yeah. Right? And he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. So he like starts out in a respectable tone. That mm-hmm. has nothing to do with what's going on there. Right, because right. look at what, and our reason I pointed out is because people refer to it, but then look at what he ends up saying. Uh, verse 30, like a couple paragraphs down. The times of ignorance God overlooked, basically calling them ignorant. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Right. Right? So that's what... Like, he's not being winsome at all. He's he's being mocked. And I, I think, think some wins-
2: people use that passage in Acts 17 in Athens is such, like, a uh, methodology,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? Like, we're going to have to, you know... We, we use something that's in their world to then make it, you know... Like, okay, yeah, sometimes sometimes it helps metaphorically something make sense. Or some. he might just be saying there, hey, listen, you guys... Uh, you guys perceive uh, yourselves as very educated and smart. Hey, let me tell you—you know—the truth. Like, I don't think there that this is some like methodology that's gonna that's gonna make um, the gospel more acceptable.
1: Right, like, but even in that context, he wasn't winsome. Right, I know. I even know though, that, but I'm just saying, he, like, just people saying, use like, that as a methodology. But I'm just saying, even though that he I'm contextualized the soapbox, I'm just, his but, uh, the sharing of the gospel right there by pointing to the temple to the unknown God. It he was still very truthful. He explained the whole gospel, even to the point where some mocked. And Andrew. I think a lot of people want winsomeness, like they use this as a strategy because it's ca- they're really afraid and cowardly at the heart of themselves. Yep. Because they don't want to be rejected. They don't they they want the truth to be popular. And Christ made it clear that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. When like you surely go ahead.
0: Or our interview with Steven Nichols, he yeah. saying in the 90s, early 2000s, they the evangelicals had a seat at the cool table, he said. And then mm-hmm. now we're losing it and some people just don't like it. And so the sufficiency right. of Scripture is what's under attack yet again. Yeah, I
2: think it's the fact that the world rejects the truth. And so you're trying to add to it in order to make it more acceptable. But mm-hmm. here's what I would say. I would say I don't think it's a problem sometimes to be... Um, you know, to be winsome, like to be articulate, to be, you know, to engage the person that you're talking to and to be, um, you know, not to be always confrontational, right? But to say the statement, all Christians at all times when they talk or however he said it, should be winsome. It's like mm-hmm. that's the primary strategy. When instead it should say, you should say, at all times Christians should should be faithful to the truth. Right, right. You know what I mean? And sometimes you'll be more naturally winsome in what you're talking about. Sometimes you won't, but that doesn't necessarily it's not, m- a,
0: it's not a virtue to strive for.
2: Yeah, it's not essential. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's where we come back to the sufficiency of Scripture. If
0: if that were true, Scripture would
1: say that, right? Why do we need to go outside yeah, of Scripture right. to come up with a strategy when we can just look at what Scripture says and say this is what I'm supposed to be? And
2: that's where, and yeah. I think going back to Act 17, that's descriptive, not prescriptive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like that's describing an actual event with a particular set of people with within a certain time frame. That actually happened, like we wouldn 't try to go and re- reproduce Pentecost or we wouldn 't try to go reproduce something some else, do. <laughs> yes, but what i 'm saying is those are descriptive events, those are not prescriptive for when you evangelize what 's prescriptive for when you evangelize is that you declare the actual content of the gospel right, right? that 's prescriptive those are descriptive events that yeah, we can learn some things from, but they 're not mm. this is the way in which you could you should
1: but even if you wanted to even if you wanted to take mars hill is a descriptive for instance well you would do it the way paul does it which he just he enters in through acknowledging something of their culture and then goes into a full explanation of the truth so yeah. so it's not like we're well, like saying this you guys have
0: this inscription to the unknown god. Let me just tell you who he is known, right? Actually, let me just explain to you who that yeah. is. Right. Or you might
2: say to somebody, "Hey, you know, I, I, you know, I'm seeing that you guys have a lot of crosses around in your house, and maybe they're Catholic, right? And, and um, that you really um, pay some kind of homage and respect to Jesus. But I wonder if you understand the true gospel,
0: right? Yeah, right?
2: Like that's not right. that's not like winsome. That's right. just like Hey, I'm pointing out where you guys, what you guys are focusing on, and maybe where the error is, and let me explain to you the actual truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Wisdom would
0: be saying, and "Like I love all these crosses." Like you guys it's like you very- eased
2: into it in such a way that they didn't right. catch it, and now you're attracting them in such. It's like
1: it, it puts too much emphasis on the. Well, it's very man centered. Yeah, like, they'll be attracted to the truth by how you are. No, we like, once again the Bible gives us description of what a Christian should be. Loving. Loving and truthful. Not letting any corruption talk come out of your mouth, speaking of song. Honoring one another, all the things that it says. But one of the biggest things it says is and speak the truth. Be ready in season, out of season to preach the word. Like that's we just we don't need anything other than the scriptures to tell us how to be Christians, is my point.
0: And that's the bottom line, really. And that's what we're getting at is it's about sufficiency of scripture. We don't need this adjective that is not given to us in scripture, mm-hmm. people are that great, yeah. however, right we it's don't not go- sinful
2: if someone's personality is like that, but mm-hmm. that's not an as, that's not something that's essential for us to talk about the truth
1: to the world, which is right. what that article yeah. said you know yeah, when you're looking for extra biblical means to accomplish what scripture says, you're essentially saying that scripture is not sufficient right. Mm-hmm. And like
0: our, our culture is dealing with something unique. So we need a unique right. rule book strategy. To and then follow. you got
2: all these people and and I, I encounter it all the time. Like I got guys who want to be trained in pastoral leadership or in, um, preaching. You know what the first thing they say to me is, well, I mean, I, I know that I just don't have uh, the personality or the, 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 um, you know, the kind of outrageous, uh, personality in a sense, like the you know maybe the the natural passion to whatever and passion is important are you talking about charisma yeah like but it's like they feel like that's an essential thing rather than thinking more so along the lines of hey can you please just teach me doctrine and give right. me and help me with the form of the sermon mm-hmm. and help me with uh, so i can organize it in a clear and accurate way and, and like I think the Christian culture has pointed to the fact that you need some kind of winsome leader in order to be faithful to God. In in order
1: to reach the lost. They think
0: it'll help them withstand the attacks of the world.
1: Well, that's definitely definitely taught in the pragmatic, secret-sensitive world. I mean, we were told that kind of stuff. Like you have have to be able to do do it a certain way in order to be able to really carry the mail, if you will. Um, I was told I I would never be able to preach. Mm. You know? You're proving them wrong. I guess.
0: (laughs) Look at you. All right, well, let's transition. That was good stuff. I could camp on that for a while, though. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now we're going to talk about probably the opposite of winsomeness, which is to be mournful. So, be a mourner. We're going through the Beatitudes found in Matthew 5. Um, One thing we pointed out last week is that this is really Jesus' first sermon after he says the words to his first disciples Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So it would follow that these are some of the foundational, the foundational truths and characteristics of fishers of men. Mm-hmm. One, it links our purpose to this, right? These are characteristics of a Christian. For what reason? Well, eventually to be evangelical in our nature. But we're going to deal with with these eight Uh, Beatitudes, the eight foundational characteristics of a Christian. Mm -hmm. So last week we talked about poor in spirit. Now we're looking at uh, to be mournful. Mm -hmm. Um, Most, as we talked about last week, most commentators would say to be blessed is is essentially saying happy, right? Although they would all admit that happy Mm -hmm. is not the best way to define blessed because in our culture, happy has... You know, some sense of circumstance tied to it. You know, you're happy mm-hmm. as long as things are going well. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls it, it's like the highest sense of congratulations. Like mm-hmm. it to, for you to congratulate someone is basically calling them blessed. I think you could say I mean, favored by God because in the context of this is
1: speaking of salvation. So not favored as in your special, but favored in the
0: sense of having God and being saved yeah. type of idea. I believe just to be technical that there, the commentators say there's a distinction between that definition and this one. Okay. But, um, for this podcast, <laughs> that would suffice. <laughs> I say it's living the good life. That's the way like, cause every commentator kind of has their own way of understanding it. Um, and putting it into today's word, since we mm. don't have the best word for it, which happens yeah. a lot in, from the Greek language to ours or the Hebrew language to ours. Sometimes we don't have the right sense of the word. Sure. And so sometimes it takes a few words. Mm-hmm. And so I like to call it living the good life.
2: <laughs> which is really true in terms of yeah. spiritually, exactly. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like in terms of the, a God-centered view of mm-hmm. life, you know, um, absolutely, kind of, blessed and happy and Mm -hmm. uh, in his favor. um, Yeah. You know.
0: So essentially what this is saying is happy are the sad or those who are sad are living the good life for they shall be comforted. Uh, This is a spiritual, all of these are spiritual um, characteristics of Christians. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is a, a serious, solemn, sober, or grave in respect to one's sin or the sin in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's what yeah. this means. Essentially, you know, the world would say, Hey, you gotta find inner peace, right? Mm-hmm. Don't be sad. You know, have you know positive vibes only, right? And what Jesus is teaching here is no, actually, you should mourn. Yeah. Because that's what's true.
1: And it's specifically over your sin or the evil and the sin of the world, right? Like the the mourner. That's what uh, my little note here in my commentary Bible, R.C. Sproul wrote, the context indicates that these are mourning over sin and evil, especially their own, and over the failure of mankind to give proper glory to God. Right. Mm -hmm. So mourning here is mourning over sin. I think this...
0: Which R.C. Sproul, like, he lived that out.
1: Yeah. And I think... You know, there's a couple different um, places in Scripture where we see the same idea. 2 Corinthians 7 mm-hmm. about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow leading to repentance. Worldly sorrow leads to death. James, which, you know, the brother the of Jesus also talks about this in James 4 mm-hmm. when he talks about Four, that idea of uh, loving the world versus loving God and that we should mourn. Yeah, be you know?
0: wretched and mourn. right. And he goes on to describe that as a form of humility.
1: Mm -hmm. Because then you'll be exalted, which is the blessed part. Like God will exalt those who mourn over their sin because as we talked about last week, the poor in spirit, these are precursors to salvation. Like you have to acknowledge, understand the depravity of sin in order to experience the grace of God Mm -hmm. because that's what will drive you to repentance and faith and seeking to, to honor Christ as Lord because you realize he is... The only way to God and what your greatest need is is salvation from from the wrath of God and a relationship with God and all those things. Right. Sam, you got anything? <laughs> yeah,
2: I just think like as I'm like thinking about this, you know, the whole context of those first eleven twelve verses. And it seems to be where Jesus is starting the sermon, because this sermon is really a he he's doing this, he, the whole time he's speaking here. He's speaking of um, he's pointing to their need for salvation,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right in the Sermon on the Mount, as opposed to keeping the law, right um, in a sense to where like um, it's uh, it's the opposite of mm-hmm. self righteousness. Here he's mm-hmm. describing salvation, right in the first twelve verses. He's like describing this. He's describing. Um, those who have salvation.
0: Yeah, he's describing what a Christian is. Exactly. And he's also showing, Hey, this is going to take a lifetime of dependence because if you look down at these, you can't do them. Yeah,
2: and it's almost as if um, here's evidences of of someone who's in the kingdom. Exactly. Right, yeah. here's evidences of people who are mm-hmm. are born again um, and are saved. And when he says, blessed are those who mourn for they should be comforted, it seems to be... Like, um, you know, uh, the, in, in, um, enduring, um, at, like, these are enduring attributes. Like mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like, um,
1: like a characteristic you'll be marked by.
2: Yeah. If this is a characteristic that you're marked by, you're in the kingdom of, of
1: heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're someone and, who mourns your sin, right. it's
2: evidence of salvation. Right. If you're. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, there is evidence that you're that you're in the in the kingdom of God. But mm-hmm. yeah, the morning is like um it's almost as like what it's almost like what are you going to choose? You're going to choose a blissful life in this world that that enjoys sin and rejects mm-hmm. any feelings of guilt because of sin or are you going or or are you going to be one who who embraces um, the fact that, uh, true Christianity are, is, you know, are people that, true Christians are people that mourn their sin, reject their sin, you know, hate their sin. Right. Um, and they endure that. What I say is longevity is like they endure that hatred of sin and the mourning that comes with the hatred of sin because they look towards an eternal reward. Right. Which they, is
0: exactly what the second clause, Leads us to understand, for they shall be comforted. Notice, right. blessed for the poor in spirit. For theirs is, we have the kingdom of heaven now. That's salvation. Mm-hmm. That's also sanctification. It's also glorification. The future kingdom of heaven, but in four and onward, it's for they shall. It's a future comfort because exactly what you're saying, mm. they're willing to wait for their I, comfort.
2: Yeah, I think even really all of it you can say is like it's like in is is the future reward of salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You
1: know, like the yeah, ultimate and it's sort of that already, life. but not yet principle. Like we're comforted now because of the gospel, but we'll ultimately be comforted in eternity.
0: Right. The sin may not disappear immediately. Yeah. That immediate satisfaction, but you're immediately satisfied in the future. Hopefully. And when I was speaking to the law earlier, think about the opposite, uh,
2: the opposite attitude of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. They don't mourn their sin. No,
1: because they're righteous because of their keeping of the law. Quote because unquote.
2: Because they're not even aware of their sinful condition, mm-hmm. and so they think that it would be that it would show that they're in the kingdom of God mm-hmm. by uh, proudly, um, um, you know, denying any feelings of guilt. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't think that they're that they're guilty at all, mm-hmm. and so. What Jesus is saying is the opposite is when you realize your sinful condition and you mourn because of it, and your only hope then is Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, mm-hmm. the Deliverer, the Savior, the King, then, um, then it is, ev- you know, it's evidence that mm-hmm. you're in the kingdom, that you will be saved, that you will inherit eternal life. Yeah. And, um, and what are you going to choose? You, you know, Here's the true test. Are you someone who wants this this world um, to live blissfully now? I think it's even almost like um, the fact that he's using the word blessed. It's, it's almost like do you want to be blessed in a worldly sense, you know, like happy in this world, mm-hmm. not mourning your sin. Well, it's probably evidence that you don't know God. It's mm-hmm. not a works-based thing that he's saying here, but right. what I'm saying is probably
1: evidence you don't... And he eventually gets to that in Matthew 7 where he talks about many will say, in my name, you've done all these things, Correct. but you're not, I'm going to say, I never knew you. Yeah. Because it's on the backside of the indicators of what a true salvation yeah, looks like. Yeah, so the like.
2: Pharisees would reject this, but he's saying the ones who accept, who live like this are are ones who are probably born again, who are born again, and mm-hmm. uh, by, by enduring that, and by rejecting the yeah. worldliness... Um, you're going to have true salvation.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think this is so helpful and necessary for a Christian to understand because it's so many people come into the faith and immediately think they need to be happy about the, their whole life. Right. Like yeah, As yeah. if Jesus saved them to make them mm. just eternally happy. Well, right. they, he mm. did eternally happy, but yeah. not temp- temporally happy. Temporally, yeah. Whatever, yeah. Temporal. <laughs> <laughs> Is mm-hmm. that a food food thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, we you know, talked like, about Really this. combating that yeah. idea of like trying to put on this like fake right. happy face. It's like mm-hmm. no, you should mourn your sin the way Isaiah when he saw God. Like that's another thing. It, it's an indication that you've seen the holiness mm-hmm. of God in a sense. Well, right? and, and in mm-hmm. some
2: ways, the kind of I don't know what you would ca- ca- characterize it as like the liberal church again. And I said this this morning. It's like. That's more Pharisaical than even one, you know, who we see as like, uh, um, maybe like you, you, some people would call like a, like a, a, a Bible thumping. Yeah. Know, a Christian yeah. is more Pharisaical, but actually the one who realizes their sin and is really dependent on the word of God and strives towards holiness isn't always like a Pharisee. Actually, the one who's like a Pharisee is the liberal person who says God loves me the way that I am. And so I think that those who don't even mourn, their sin are also those in the in the camp of like look at all these great things in which you know god has made me to be he loves me just the way i just the way i am and i think this is evidence is like i wonder if those people are truly christians right you get what i mean like i don't know if that makes sense of what i'm saying but yeah. it's like if you're not mourning your sin cuz you're saying man we should just mm-hmm. be happy as christians we should live victoriously um we should yeah you know we don't have to be, like but that's a worldly idea of victoria then you think probably god loves you the way that you are and you probably don't see the reality of your sinful condition which is you probably mm-hmm. don't even see your need for a savior and then like you know do you know
1: well christ christ again? in this i think along those lines is, he's painting this picture to show the depravity of sin cuz you know depravity man yeah, yeah cuz there's no way to perfectly living this out he goes on you know in future parts of this sermon to talk about anger and murder you know like your heart if you have anger in your heart you've murdered if you have lust in your heart you've committed adultery just to show the total depravity of man but you can't keep the law you can't right. keep the law but the the i think mourning your sin like rightfully right rightly mourning your sin is the key to is the key to contentment with the lord and experiencing His grace, mm. because when you are humble and you see your sin rightly, then you see you're tru- you're fully trusting in Christ. Exactly. As then your you see exactly, yeah. and you see Christ rightly, and and man, it, it creates this deep contentment and comfort and humility that's genuine, not this fake acting like I'm. On top of the world all the time, and that's what it looks like to be with God and all this kind of stuff in this world. It's this helmet of salvation, in
2: a sense. It's mm-hmm. like, or the, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the um, peace. Yeah, that, it's it's the readiness of the gospel. It's like yeah, it the brings confidence in this peace of that you, the peace that you have with God because of mm-hmm. Christ, not because of your own. Exactly, the peace that goes
1: beyond understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians four, or or that sober mindedness. You know, a Christian should be sober-minded in that sense of the reality of sin, but the reality of the gospel working at the same time is what this one who mourns their sin, but is comforted, mm-hmm. right? Like it, God is enough. God is the only thing that's enough. He right. is the only one and who's enough. And if you think
0: about the way mm-hmm. God's just designed this whole thing, it's really necessary for any kind of spiritual growth. Unless you mourn your sin... Then you'll be comforted by the world, right? Yeah. Mm. If the world is enough to comfort you, and you are somehow a Christian, then you will you will be remain mm. in that infancy stage, yeah, which is very true. And so mm. you have to be like this. The idea of holy unrest—I don't know who first coined that term, but it kind of gets to the idea of like. Yes, you're you're happy with God, but you're not happy with your circumstance mm. because it's full of sin and you want to get rid of it, but it doesn't go away overnight. It's yeah. Paul in Romans 7, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver right. me from this body of death. Yeah, right, and, right, right. and the true
2: Christian, it, when it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The true believer.
0: A little closer to the mic there.
2: The the true believer is constantly looking for the ultimate resolution in in heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? Like like you're constantly looking for that to fully be remedied. Not until heaven. Like right. they should be like blessed are those who mourn now. Um they realize their sinful condition mm-hmm. and they mourn over it and mm-hmm. the sin of the world because they they just see how people are getting this thing wrong, the gospel mm-hmm. wrong, the truth wrong, the word of God wrong, the church wrong. Right and um, rather than maybe trying to find a, a resolution right now by abandoning Christ, mm. they are only looking forward to that being resolved. Yeah, that's true. In, in the kingdom, you know, and those are the
1: true believers. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, don't and I think the sense. mourning goes further. It's not just mourning your overt sin, like when you make a mistake, but it's mourning the wretchedness of your heart. It's It's mourning over the idolatry of my heart. It's mourning over the fact that I desire something else other than God at times. Yeah. It's mourning over the fact that I don't feel like discipling my children some days. Or it's mourning over the fact that I don't feel like there's just it's not just the things that I do, it's the desires within that I'm always
0: wrestling with. Mm -hmm. One after that you can and you should move out into the world, like seeing the world through the same lens. Mm-hmm. I mean, why did Jesus weep over Lazarus when he knew he was about to bring him back from the dead? Right. Why did he weep over Jerusalem when he obviously knew right. from mm-hmm. from eternity's and, past that he would not repent? And
2: yeah. do you ever notice, like, I think that that's said about me a lot, and I think it's probably said about you guys a lot. Man, they're just always so... Serious. Intense. Always so serious. Why so serious? You know, or, well, I think you do, like in the sense of probably with your family, your kids see that. Your kids probably see you as someone who's, who's sober minded. And I think about sometimes hanging out with maybe, like the Hulk. you know, just the, you know, people who come from that secret world and it's just like, and what is there to be in a sense? I mean, we, sh- through the spirit, there is joy in that, Right. But most of the time, man, it's like you're feeling, the world right. doesn't see Burdened. where how yeah. they're so wrong, you know? And I want people mm-hmm. to see this, but so I think, I think that that is the, that's the Christian life right. is you're, you're joyful, you know, you're, you're sorrowful, yet you're always rejoicing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're rejoicing because of the gospel, because of Christ, because of the fruit of the spirit in your life. And yet you're sorrowful about the reality of your own mm-hmm. sin, about the sin of others, about the fact that so many are getting this wrong god's being described differently than he really is um the scriptures are not
1: being yeah why would we sit on here and talk about winsome yeah the way that we did because it's it's not that we're trying to be right and make it's other attacking people wrong.
0: very characteristic it's just yeah. like
1: ah uh, like that's not true yeah you know like why do we need something other than scripture why do we care so much about that because his words are light. Like the life is in the word of God. You yeah. Know, right? It's living and active, sharpening two edged sword, Hebrews four, like it is our lifeblood. Yeah. yeah. I think to summarize this though, I was I was thinking
2: if someone wants to say, okay, what are you guys all saying? Like what does this verse mean? I mean it's pretty simple that what he's saying is here is evidence of a true believer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The evidence of a true believer is one. Who mourns over their sin and over the condition while, of the world while living in this world. Mm -hmm. When he says Mm -hmm. he shall be comforted or they shall be comforted, he's just saying in the sense that they're the ones, like, they're gonna go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Those are the, those are the ones who inherit eternal life. It's like these are the evidence, the evidences of a true believer. Like blessed are you because if this is how you live, then you're gonna have Eternal life, eternal life. Not mm-hmm. a workspace, but this is
1: the evidence. These are the, mm-hmm. this is the. That's um, really these are these conditions of, and these conditions are really heart conditions. They're not right works conditions. Right, yeah. those we'll who move are,
0: into some more external conditions right. of how we interact with. But the first two people. are belief and the first heart too meek, meekness yeah. as well. Right.
2: Yeah. So I could see for I could see the Book of First John having a, a line like this, mm-hmm. right? Like. You know, um, those who say they know him mourn over sin. Right.
0: Maybe it's 17 lines about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he likes to uh, argue in circles. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: But, you know, it's really almost like... The first like, chapter kind of says it that way.
2: Yeah, but that's kind of like, you know, the book of First John. We all read it as a church for two weeks straight. But it's mm-hmm. like, you know, those are evidence of a believer. But you could, you could see him saying something like this. Like, right the The one who says he knows him mm. but doesn't mourn over his sin and the sin of the world mm. while he lives in this world
1: mm-hmm. is a liar he, he's not right. he he's not he doesn't know him well, I was going to say kind of what he what he does say is similar where it says if you say you have no sin you're li- you're a liar, the truth's not in you, yeah, if you confess your sin, well, that's what this talks about mourning your sin right right like it's kind of the same thing. If if you're not mourning your sin or if you're not confessing your sin, if you're not acknowledging your sin, mm-hmm. it's evidence that you're not in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes with what Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Well, that has a lot of indications to that of the cross being the burden of this world in some ways. But also it's following Christ in in imitation too. He was a man of sorrows. Mm-hmm. He mourned over the sin of this world. Mm-hmm. He he died for the sin of this world, and his children should we should be Christ-like. Like mm-hmm. we should do that too. Speaking
2: of winsomeness, um, Isaiah says there was nothing that attracted
1: right. men to him. Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. He was not yeah. attractive at all, and he was a man of sorrows. Yeah, that's not winsome. Yeah. Well yeah think about that. I mean he
2: knew the state of the world and he right. and he had compassion and he knew, you know, the reality right. of sin and
1: and hell and which makes sense why we would this would be a mark of a Christian because if we have the spirit of God, which right. is the Holy Spirit, we too know the state you, of the you're world. You're seeing reality. And
2: again, that's why I think this whole sermon is is such a pushback against the Pharisees and the law. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the Pharisees lived in such a way that they were boasting about themselves. They were not mournful or sorrowful. They thought maybe the poor should be that way, maybe people who were less spiritual should be that way, Gentiles should be that way, but they shouldn't be that way because they were righteous. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite here. He's saying when you realize your sin and you mourn over it, boom, that's what's needed. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think a way to reverse For to have it, salvation, to, to apply it to yourself, is what? Where do you find comfort now? Mm -hmm. Right? Because that's essentially where you're neglecting to mourn. sin. Because you're, if you're satisfied with something this world has to offer.
1: Or how do you make excuses to yourself about your sin?
0: Yeah. Or how
1: do you, or have you gotten to the
2: place that you're broken enough about it to where you repent, you repent and need a savior. Like today I saw a couple Mm -hmm. come into our church who hadn't been there in a long time. And, they kind of had this somber, sober-minded spirit. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, probably something's happened that's brought them back to church Mm -hmm. in their marriage, in their family, something, right? Mm -hmm. But you know what I thought to myself? Great. This sober-minded, somber spirit shows me they're on their way to getting back right with God. If they had walked in after, you know, a year of not being in church and been like, Yeah, everything's great. We're doing wonderful You know, then you're like, okay, something's off here. Yeah. If someone's not seeing the true condition of their sin and their true need for God and the true state of things right. without him, they're not seeing reality. Right. But one thing you I'll know? say
1: to that too, because I see it often in the in our counseling room this is there where, could be a false. This yeah, is where I go yeah. back to Paul in Second Corinthians. There's worldly sorrow and godly yeah. sorrow. People in the world are sorrowful for the consequences of their sin when things are not going well, but that doesn't always mean they. So feel maybe one you
2: could expand this phrase here in Matthew and say, "Blessed are those who mourn with godly sorrow."
0: God, right, so not to add anything. You
2: but in context, you can add another scripture with it. And yeah. In context, that's a cross reference, I'm cross reference. Sure you know. But you know what I mean, like with godly sorrow, for their, they they right. will be comforted because they're they're they're, they're born going to repent. They're born again, yeah, and they're going to repent. It's evidence of someone who's
1: born again, and repentance brings mm-hmm. sanctification and growth and mm-hmm. and comfort in this life.
2: But I, isn't it interesting too how he talks about the eternal life? Because all of this is just pointing to eternal life. Like mm-hmm. this, blessed is this person because they have eternal life. You could say that every time. Blessed is yeah. this person because they have eternal life. Blessed is this person because they have eternal life. Mm-hmm. But each because they will almost um. It's related to, uh, like being comforted is related to mm-hmm. mourning. Yeah. So it's not just eternal life, but it's you get what I'm trying to right. say.
1: Well, if you don't mourn, you don't really need comfort from God, too. Yeah, exactly. Even though That's you do need you do need comfort. So it, this is a true statement, regardless let. of your acknowledgement, right? But the lost are blind to their need for comfort. But
2: I'm saying the but the ha, the one who has eternal life. Which are all the characteristics of all these, these, all these characteristics are someone who will have eternal life. But it's interesting how he words it that, you know, the, the what you will get in heaven is related to what you're enduring Mm -hmm. here on earth to be a Christian. We'll see
0: the same thing with meekness. Mm -hmm. Right. Same thing with hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Yeah, exactly. You'll be
2: satisfied. You'll be, so it's like, are you willing, the true Christian endures those things because they will only be
1: resolved in heaven Mm -hmm. and they understand what christ was saying in the gospels in john we're reading through john now i'm the bread of life i'm the the living water like Mm -hmm. i think he points to those there's many different reasons for that aspect but just the the picture of what do we need to live and be satisfied we need food Mm -hmm. we need when we're more thirsty we need it to be refreshed and he is the living water mm-hmm. He is the bread of life mm-hmm. for the mourner he is he is the only place to find comfort and satisfaction mm-hmm. for the hunger that we have you mm-hmm. know and the Christian only looks to be ultimately comforted right in heaven you right know?
0: I think Paul read the Beatitudes because <laughs> in second Corinthians 7:10 yeah. you've already quoted this multiple times for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death Mm -hmm. and he goes on to show them what worldly grief looks like and then verse 12 so although I wrote to you it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong nor for the sake of one who suffered the wrong but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God therefore we are comforted and besides our own comfort we rejoice still at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all so just this like This sense of because you were confronted with your sin and that Mm. moved you to a godly repentance, that brought about comfort, right? They're they're tied together, mourning Mm. and comfort. Mm. Um, But don't get it confused, right? Because godly Mm. or worldly grief is not going to lead to that. No,
1: worldly grief just wants to get out from underneath the consequences of sin. And once the consequences die down or the fire kind of dies down, that's what comforts you and that leads to death because it doesn't lead to salvation. Right. Right. So you're, it's not like it leads to death as in if you had life before. It's just more evidence that you never had life right. and you're still not repenting of your sin. Therefore, you're going to end up in hell in the, in the and that, end. And that brings up a good point because it's like
2: in Matthew, because what Paul says and in, in what you just read, Josh, he says, look at what this godly grief has produced in you. What zeal? What earnestness? Mm-hmm. What what desire in the sense to clear yourselves?
0: Mm-hmm. Right. It's the motivating factor. Yes. Yeah, so it's th- like if you go back comfort. to
2: Matthew, then it's it will be true of people who mourn mm-hmm. that they will also be eager and zealous to repent. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's not just the one. It's not just that they're mourning. Mourning in itself isn't the evidence. Of a believer, I guess, but even furthermore, like one who then is mournful about their sin, and then is eager to 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 repent. Yeah, you know? yeah it's, just like, ne-
0: it's so necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's well, a
2: natural progression for true conviction. Yeah, like if you're truly convicted about your sin, then you're gonna not always perfectly, but you're gonna desire to repent, just right. like the Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Mm-hmm.
0: It's just that like phenomenon of the christian walk that this is true of you mm-hmm. however you have to strive for it in a sense right not to make it a reality because it's already there but you have to work out your own salvation with, with fear and, fear and trembling. trembling though it's not you who does it but god who does it right
1: mm-hmm. which is all those same characteristics the fear of the lord the mm-hmm. sober-mindedness the mourning the recognizing sin total, yeah. understanding total depravity all the mm-hmm. things right right are indications of knowing the knowing mm-hmm. christ mm-hmm.
0: Good stuff, guys. These guys got an earful today from three pastors.
1: (laughs) Hey, how about
0: about two and a half? Oh, come
1: on!
2: Now go away from here and cry. You're, I guess, until I get paid. If
0: you're you're not crying right
1: now, (laughs) mourn. You're not going to be in heaven. (laughs) You, if you ain't crying now, you will be. (laughs) All right, you guys ruined it. I guess Just (laughs) Cut that out. Just
0: kidding. Hopefully that was helpful. And next week we'll be talking about meekness. Meekness one. is
1: not weakness.
0: Meekness is not weakness. And we're going to figure out what inheriting the earth means. <laughs> we'll we'll see. see. All right. Thanks for listening. Later. Thank you for listening to the Change Up podcast. This podcast is made possible by The Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. If you don't have a home church, please come check us out. We have service times at 845 and 1045 on Sundays. And you can find more information at thefieldnola.com. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please share it with a friend or family member and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people just like you find us.